Hello, this is Dr. Sydney Ford, and today we'll be mapping racial biases in medicine during COVID-19 on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix not only causes us to stop and assess, but it reminds us of three very important factors in both our care, recommendations, and even our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all the things, all the little things that our clients and patients do each and every day, they matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Sydney Ford. Dr. Ford, MD, is a board-certified family medicine physician who also practices integrative and functional medicine in the Atlanta area. She works with patients of all ages, starting as early as newborns. She's passionate about supporting women's health, adolescent medicine, and health disparities. At the core of her work is her desire to get to the root cause of disease and prevent, reverse, or manage chronic diseases using mind-body medicine, nutrition, and movement. Dr. Ford, thank you for joining me on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. So I was just reading some of Ibram X. Kendi's work, and he's a leading scholar of racism in America and author of the book Stamped from the Beginning. And he recently wrote, if the heartbeat of racism is denial, the heartbeat of anti-racism is confession. To be anti-racist is to admit when we've done wrong so we can begin to do right. And this is so true, and the time is clearly overdue for us to do right. What's your vision of where we are now with racial disparities in medicine and what our very next steps can be to begin to right our wrongs, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, so I just want to say, I think that quote is actually perfect. Um, so as far as where we are now, I do not actually think that the numbers as far as racial disparities are improving. Um, the data is not showing that currently, but I do think that the awareness among the medical community is improving. Mm -hmm. So hopefully within years to come, you know, as we develop more programs and are able to provide more resources, we'll actually see numbers starting to turn around. Like when I look at it from you know, the patient standpoint or on social media, I'm, you know, still friends with a lot of people from back home who I grew up with. There are so many like groups now, there's kind of like an anti-doctor, anti-medical right. system movement going on right now. And, and rightfully so, I can understand why that is because of all the trauma that a lot of people have gone through. But I don't think that 
from a patient standpoint, that's taking things in the right direction. Yeah, it makes sense, though. I mean, how can there be trust given the history that's brought us here and the things that we're overlooking in terms of helping different populations? Exactly. So and and we are seeing just distrust among everyone. So it's not just among minorities. And there's many reasons. So, you know, there's like a an anti-vaccine movement. Right. And, and gratefully for practitioners such as um, you and myself, a lot of people are now wanting more natural um, approaches. However, that should not ignore conventional medicine and it should not be without proper health care and screening and such as that. So my fear is as people are saying, you know, I want more natural things, so I'm going to look this up online and do it myself, they're still missing out on the the screening that we need for like cancer screening right. and they're missing the opportunity for healthcare providers to even identify certain risk factors. So that's why I said like from the patient standpoint and you know that movement I think that change that needs to happen um, and healthcare providers just need to need to build back up that trust for people. What's happening in the environment around you? I hear what you're saying, and I think a lot about education and who has access to the education, who has access to functional medicine thinking, who has access to the ability to even consider themselves as bio-individual inside of an entire Mm -hmm. uh, system. What is it like around you and for the patient population you're serving? It's kind of a mixed bag because I still work in a traditional clinic. So I'm working for a pretty large health, the largest health system in Georgia currently. So I see both um, patients because I was on the IFM website. I'll get some patients right. who are seeking functional medicine and, you know, they want to do everything that they can. But then I also, the majority of my patients are still people who come in you know, they may have a problem and I'll make a recommendation or want to put them on a certain treatment plan. And there's like a lot of pushback. Um, so there's still a matter of, you know, they're, they're getting to the doctor's office, they're coming. So that's the good thing. But there's still a, mm, I don't know if what you're saying is something that I should do. Right. And therein lies the education and the trust that we have to build as practitioners. If we think about some of these racial disparities in the age of the COVID pandemic, what's setting us up for those disparities? Why are we seeing the numbers we're seeing in relation to uh, minorities and the risk factors? Yeah, so you have um, multiple things that are going to contribute to it. So, of course, we know that certain chronic diseases are going to lead to more complications from COVID. So patients who have diabetes, heart disease, um, respiratory concerns like COPD or asthma, high blood pressure. So at baseline, all of those um, conditions are risk factors. Well, what we're seeing on the racial side is that minorities, African-Americans, Latinos, um, Native Americans, they have higher rates of these chronic diseases. So naturally, they're also going to have a higher rate of complications. So that's just like one aspect that we're seeing. Another thing we're looking at is minorities are also more likely to be, quote unquote, the essential employees. So working in specific jobs where they Mm. could not stop working when everyone, you know, when the economy was kind of shut down in March and April, people still had to go to work. 
Um, you know, bus drivers still have to drive the bus as people right. are getting on without masks. So they have a lot more exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one factor. Another factor is that minorities are more likely to live in close quarters with others and have more people in the home. So mm-hmm. with each person that's going out, now your risk is increased. Even if you're staying home, but the elderly people can stay home. But if they have like three adults in the home who are coming in, um, they still have that exposure rate, that elevated exposure rate. So, you know, those are some of the things that we're looking at. So it's not just one factor right. where we could just pinpoint it and say, this is it we can fix this now. Um, it's multiple things. And again, that's, that's why this pandemic is showing us the problem with what's going on in the country. Yeah. And when we take that look that you gave us that broad look and say it's multiple things, we can even go a level deeper to say, what are the immune factors? What is the diet? How is gut health? What's the exposure to environmental toxins? All of these things mm-hmm. that become contributors to those uh, those comorbidities that we're seeing. Is there anything that you've seen in your work or in your clinic that points us to either polymorphisms or nutrient deficiencies that would bring us into that next layer of possible remediation? Oh, definitely. So, you know, if we, and this is not going to be just with minorities, because of course, people of all ethnicities and races are living in poverty, but, um, you know, it's a disproportionate rate for minorities. So if you're living in impoverished areas or you're living in a food desert, then your nutritional status is just not going to be at the same level of someone who has a public right down the street or a whole food, but, you know, they have access to more right. nutritious foods. So you have the access to, um, to the foods that we need, but there's also the education. So a lot of times people, um, they may feel that if they don't necessarily know, I guess, proper eating, right. You know, so they're just, they're just, getting whatever they can or getting what they feel, what they grew up eating, basically, then even if they have access to buying like frozen fruits and vegetables, which are going to be better than nothing, they won't necessarily do it out of whatever reason, because they didn't grow up doing it or because they just don't know that it's needed. So that's definitely going to lead to nutritional deficiencies. And then you have people who have a higher education background, they're more likely to take supplements or more likely to be able to even afford supplements, yep. whereas other people just aren't doing that at the moment. Yeah, such a good point. And I think the even the screening you were talking about with why and when might we need supplements that actually set us up or reduce our risk factors that might be overlooked because not going to the doctor it not being part of like standard medicine to have some of these tests done that might actually give us some underlying information. Again, I keep thinking about the vitamin D levels because they do really shift with skin color. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the, you know, our, I came from Arizona. um, That's where I did my training. So the biggest thing, of course, where, you know, the second place in the world for skin cancer is make sure you wear sunscreen, make sure you wear sunscreen, which is, it's appropriate, you know, we don't want to get skin cancer. Right. However, that's clearly going to um, block your vitamin D or your sun absorption and the conversion of vitamin D. So, um, and that's just a problem in our entire country. 
you already have for people who have a darker complexion, it's more difficult to absorb the UV rays and make that conversion. But then now people are either wearing sunscreen and blocking it, or they're just not spending the time in the sun to get the vitamin D and they don't know that they should be taking vitamin D. Right. And so we it's don't, a little tricky. It there? is tricky. And then we think about things like oxidative stress and the living in a food desert, you're definitely eating foods that are causing more free radical damage. And it just is this never ending cycle. Mm-hmm. And you know, the problem is healthier foods are more expensive. I, yes. I bought a salad the other day and I just stopped adding ingredients to it at some point because the salad was $13. I was like, I'm not going to pay $20 for a salad. And, you know, but I have the luxury of spending that money on a salad, whereas many people that can feed their entire family, you know, that $15 can feed the entire family, depending on what they buy. And it may not be the healthiest options, but if that's what they have, then that's what they're going to choose. Yeah. And then when we kind of think about Dr. Ford, how the disparities that we're seeing during this pandemic, like you said, they're illuminating the deeper problems that we have culturally, period, and in medicine. How is this impacting the spirit and the minds of the community? I mean, I think we're seeing, I live in Portland, Oregon, there's been Mm -hmm. a lot going on, but how is it affecting the community? I think there are some positives and negatives. So on the positive end, you want to start with good news first. Um, I do see a lot of people, they're now taking more supplements because that's floating around, you know, on the media, like on the news and in social media, that vitamin D is good for um, the immune system Mm -hmm. and other people are taking zinc, which, you know, that's debatable if they should, but they're trying, you know, so there's a lot more information out there that people are embracing. So I think that that's great. Um, I'm seeing more people who are starting gardens in their home and growing their own fruits and vegetables just because, you know, can't go to the grocery store, don't want to go to the grocery store. So I have been seeing a lot of that. I don't know, you know, there are no studies on this, so I don't know what the true numbers are, but at least, you know, it's happening in social media. So amongst, you know, our generation, um, that's a good thing. The negative thing is that this pandemic has just created so much stress and unknown for everyone and a lot of worry. So now we're looking at people who are losing sleep or they're in constant fear. And we know that that starts the cycle of chronic inflammation in the body and increased cortisol and increasing their glucose rates. So I'm interested to see what what we're going to see next year, you know, a year from now as we're living through all of this. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's like we have to pay attention to the news more than the studies because the studies can't keep up with what we're having to respond to as clinicians. It's a very interesting Mm -hmm. uh, position for us to be in as clinicians. I have a question about what we can all do or what your opinions are about that. You know, I'm in a position where I train about a thousand practitioners a year in what I call this gap, this place where it is about diet and lifestyle modification and the slow processes that it takes to educate people to make change. Mm -hmm. I can't go into every single community. I just don't have the trust or the uh, connections. But my hope is that I can train the people that can go into myriad communities and be a voice in those locations. So that becomes part of my mission. How do I reach 
the nutritionists, the allied functional medicine practitioners, the nutrition counselors? How do I support the doctors like yourself and get into the communities? What do we do? What is your opinion about what we do to do right right now as a broader community in functional medicine? I think that so what you're doing is great because, of course, you're reaching thousands of people just through the um, practitioners that you're training. So outside of your own private um, clients that you see, the people you train are going to have clients too. Yes. So that's, you know, that's your like direct influence. Yes. Um, and I think that right now more people just have to embrace what we can do on YouTube, on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, have our own websites that's just putting out this information because the people are there. They want to see it. Um, and the thing is, like, a lot of people are looking for, I think, someone local to give those answers. So, exactly. of course, you know, I have, like, followers on Instagram who are from all other places, you know, across the country. But when you have someone local that you can get that information from and then you can actually speak to them as a, you know, choose them as your provider, I think that the, the benefits are much larger than just someone who you can see and you're like, I'll never see this person or talk to this person in real life. So I think the more people that get online and spread this information, the better. I completely agree. I think we really do need to take it to the ground in our own communities. And that's part of my message to all the practitioners I train, get out there, get in your communities. Mm -hmm. If you speak Spanish, if you're speaking to families with foster children, if wherever you have access, we need to be spreading the word and not worrying so much about like our Instagram following, right? Like our communities are right in front of us and we've forgotten that. Is there anything else that we, there's so much more I know, Dr. Ford, that we didn't cover, but in this short conversation where we look at some of the highlights of racial disparities during this pandemic, is there anything else you just really want me and other practitioners to know or be aware of? I think the biggest thing is always having an open mind and realizing that no matter who you are, no matter how kind you want to be, accepting the fact that we all pretty much have biases yes. um, just because of the simple fact of how we grew up in this country. So we may not consciously think that we're contributing to certain things, but, you know, the studies just don't show that. So a lot of people, you know, there may be some small differences in the way that you treat a certain person, and it has nothing to do with how you feel about them as, as a provider. It just kind of comes off in that manner, and that could be because you don't recognize um, cultural differences or something like that. So I think that the, the big thing is everyone having an open mind, recognizing or trying to identify what implicit biases do I hold and how can I minimize that as much as possible? Yeah, bravo. That's such an important point. It brings us back to that quote about denial versus confession. And I think this is a moment where we are all being called to the confession. And it doesn't mean we're bad people. It means mm -hmm. we can all do better. And that is definitely where I hope we're moving and hope to be a part of that. So thank you for illuminating parts of this really important conversation, Dr. Ford. 
Oh, thank you for having me here to talk about this. Um, and like we talked about before, this topic is so huge. Yes. So there's no way to even completely dive into everything that needs to be addressed. It is a conversation I will continue to be having on the podcast, and I hope that you and I will be continuing to have as well, Dr. Ford. Definitely. I do have a question for you. Um, it's something that I've tried, I've been kind of struggling with myself. Um, what is your opinion on how we can attract more um, people of a, you know, a lower social economic status to functional and innovative medicine? Yeah, I, I think it's the agents of change. Like, I truly believe mm -hmm. I have to direct my attention to how I can reach people who can get into their own communities, even if they are advocates, health advocates, right? Like, there are some levels of education that are necessary in terms of what choices are that even in a food desert could be made and had, but it's going to require education. And the functional approach that I train can really help people to uh, help, help others on all levels of the spectrum. So whether they're making choices or they are struggling with real chronic health considerations and then partnering with their physicians, people like you. So I think it's education and I think it's the agents of change. So I really do feel like I need to think about how I reach more of the agents. And I, I mean in race demographics, but also in, uh, you know, I have strong feelings about how transgender communities are supported through transitions in their lives. So mm -hmm. I can't talk to every audience, but I can train the people who talk to every audience. So I think the education is cheap and it could be accessible and um, change can happen in community. So that's my hope in terms of how we reach. And I don't know that we call it fancy things like functional medicine. I think we just call mm -hmm. it, you know, holistic medicine or holistic healing or holistic self-care. I think we get kind of caught in some of the language that keeps us in our little bubbles of privilege. Yeah, I like that. I like especially uh, kind of reframing it. Yeah. Hard conversations, though. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I how do I reach other people who can get into, have access to communities mm -hmm. that I don't. And so I think I, I wish we would all be asking that question um, together because I'm sure we have more ideas than we can all do singularly. Well, I think now is the perfect time for, yes. um, you know, the functional medicine community and integrative medicine community to, to get out there and reach people because a lot of people are just like looking for more answers. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Thank you again, Dr. Ford. So good to speak with you. Oh, you as well.
The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix team features music by Gilbert Nakayama with production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook with mixing and editing by Rowan Bradley. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback. Also, who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You got recommendations. We want to hear them. Email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 